This is Unfiltered, episode 174 for February 3rd, 2016. Because these are not disclosed at all, it makes it obviously much more apparent that somebody was apparently removing the classified markings on State Department communications and getting them onto her home server. That, I think, is the real significance here. But how can she have culpability if nothing was so designated as classified at the time? If it was designated classified and the classification was removed according to a protocol that she knew about and wanted because that was the only way to get it onto her home server, then she is in it up to her eyeballs. state down 49 to go welcome again to another edition of unfiltered jupiter broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you shouldn't be watching yes the campaign trail is far in front of us and we're going to trek down that road with mr chris fisher by my side i am chase nunes hey chris how's it going hey there buddy hey buddy uh, so you and i were glued to the tv this oh, week oh man Let's it was honest. so good it's, it's classic it was so good it's, it really is classic stuff now uh, i loved it when they started showing like point decimal points, you know, I loved. I loved it. This is going to be something we're going to get to in the oh. show. But there was a definitely awkward point for the media when yes. uh, when it got to Bernie and Hillary. We're going to talk about that more. Yes. We got. We oh, have. Oh, we're going to talk a about Cruz too, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 We're, so I mean, we're going to oh, do. Yes. We're going to do a recap of the caucus. In fact, we're going to do that pretty quick off the show. You're going to cap the caucus. There is before we cap the caucus. There is some. There is some actual, real, legit Hillary developments we need to discuss. Uh, then there's some Oregon stuff that surprise, surprise is still going on. Yeah. And then the U.S.'s top threats. Top yeah. five threats, yeah. according to Ash Carter, Defense Secretary. Top five threats are out, and uh, we'll see if Chase can guess what the top five threats does, uh, are. Does uh, David Letterman introduce the top five list? Uh, no, I think it was Jihadi John. Ah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, later on, we're going to talk about uh, some uh, Libya developments that are completely predictable, as well as some interesting updates on oil. Ah, yes, that is really. And then uh, we'll wrap up the show with potentially some good news out of Flint. Oh, That'd very be nice. good. Yes. Yeah. So why don't we start with the the hill dog? Uh, this is getting to be a. There's a lot of chatter, Chase. A lot of chatter. Are you taking chatter like a like a tweety Twitter chatter? You know, with the with the terrorists that no, kind I'm of chatter. Talking, do you remember like in high school cyber chatter? When, do you remember like in high school when like the cool kids would t- have rumors and, and share secrets with each other and new yeah. things? And then it took sometimes the other kids a while to catch. Well, on. you mean they have their own little clique? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's kind of like Joe Scarborough and uh, the mainstream media. Uh, hey, Mark. There's so much to get to. I got a text yes, from uh, a so network executive from uh, high up in another network that we all know that asked. So Joe Scarborough just said he's talking to another executive. Wait, Wait a, minute. Wait a minute. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Uh, so a network it, executive uh, high up at another network. That, oh, so is he trying to get another job yeah, somewhere? So I was thinking, like, is he talking to CNN? I like, mean, is it like, hey, Fox? hey, yeah. can you give me some more money? Oh, <laughs> then, by the way, let's talk. And then Joe's just like outing himself right here. So anyways, wow, okay. he's uh, smoking a cigar and sharing rumors with other network executives, uh-huh. and uh, which I just found that to be fascinating. All right. So, okay. And then he goes on to say to the guy, hey, you know, when, why aren't you covering the Hillary story? Hey, Mark. There's so, so much to get to. I got a text. Yes. From uh, a network executive uh, high up at another network that we all know that asked uh, when we were going to start talking about what 
most of us around this table are hearing from multiple sources, and I'm sure you are too, that the Hillary Clinton investigation of the FBI is far more progressed. And we're hearing it, Amik and I have been hearing it from the top officials in the Obama administration top for uh, actually several months now. Would that be a leak? And we can't go to a meeting uh, in Washington where we don't hear this. I'm sure you can't go to a meeting in Washington without hearing well, about they, it. Well, they don't talk about it. So there is more smoke around these Clinton emails. It even, you know, just ask Joe there. Yeah. Uh, and of course, they're here. Well, you know, let's actually right here from the horse's mouth. This clip is uh, the State Department's uh, spokesperson, John Kirby. Look how thick that binder is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have they got, he's got a he's got a tab for every question. I know. And this is without any without any spin. This is the statement from the State Department about Hillary Clinton's email. All right. That as part of this monthly FOIA production of former Secretary Clinton's emails, the State Department will be denying in full seven email chains found in 22 documents representing 37 pages. The documents are being upgraded at the request of the intelligence community because they contain a category of top secret information. These documents were not marked classified at the time that they were sent. We have worked. Cl- That's a little play on words. Uh, I'll, I'll explain why later, but that's a th- key thing to remember. The documents were not marked as classified when sent to Hillary's server. Oh, okay, fair enough. Which is her out, by you the mean, way. Yeah, I was going to say, are the, the, the little flag in Outlook wasn't yeah. red. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Mostly with our interagency partners on this matter, and this dialogue with the interagency is exactly how the process is supposed to work. All right, so there you go. Uh, so they were, they were withholding uh, like 14 pages, 22 documents, uh, and now they you got to get the opinions of people who are close to the matter, people right. who are familiar with how the process works. you got to work with people who have been there and had to communicate in these kinds of situations right. before. People who are informed, people who the public love to hear from, like Dick Cheney. I think it's very serious. <clears throat> I've never understood why she had <laughs> oh, wow. a, uh, the, the separate server she did in the garage or wherever it was. Uh, no, no, it was in her bathroom closet. Come on, I, So he says, I, I never understood why she did that. Um, why you would do you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Now, Dick well, Cheney doesn't know why Hillary Clinton would want to have her own private email server. No Dick idea. Cheney can't put that together. <laughs> oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> First one's down, Chase. Yes. Watch out, red alert. Red alert. We got a Shields spill up. In the studio. Shields we up. We have a spill in the studio. Like it's never happened. Get the bonobo up off the air. It's Get off. it in the air. It's All right. Good. So Cheney's he can't make, he can't figure this one out. Why not use the regular system? It's set up there. It's established uh, for everybody, and. Um, Certainly the, the senior officials of the State Department, the Defense Department, the White House and so forth are read into all of these uh, requirements when you get your clearances. Um, we used to have, uh, when we were there... We wiped our mail server when we were there. We used encryption. We, uh, we, we, just, we just formatted the whole damn thing. <laughs> Magnets and all. Um, it wasn't quite as up-to-date as it is today in terms of technology. Yeah. But we had a basket outside the door to the Situation Room. Where any electronic gear had to go in that basket, a cell phone, a page, or whatever it might be, you didn't take it into the room because it could. Except for my pacemaker. Can't take that and put that in the basket. (laughs) I don't have a heart. Where's my shotgun? Maybe um, reverse engineered or in some fashion uh, threatened the security of what you were talking about uh, around the table. It was constantly 
something you were aware of all the time. And I don't know why she ever started in the first place. Yes, he does. A, she well, did it so that way she could have emails that were be, wouldn't be uh, uh, picked through by her rivals politically th- over the years. Yeah, but uh, don't forget, Chris, remember, and I know you're probably going to talk about this in a moment, but remember, she doesn't even know how to check her email on her computer. Right, of course. That's why she has it going to her BlackBerry. It was for convenience, Chase. Yeah, it course. was for convenience. Because these are not disclosed at all. So this is our guy from the intro clip. And I'm going to play this back a little bit and then expand on his point so you can see why there actually may be some problems here for her. And this is on CNN. It makes it obviously much more apparent that somebody... This is Michael Muskesey or M- Mukasey. I can't remember. I, you probably, I, people out there know Mukasey. him. Mukasey. He's the former U.S. Attorney General. So Mike Mukasey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike. Yeah, it's good old Mike. Was it's Mike. apparently removing the classified markings on State Department communications and getting them onto her home server. That, I think, is the real significance here. But how can she have culpability if nothing was so designated as classified at the time? If it was designated classified and the classification was removed according to a protocol that she knew about and wanted because that was the only way to get it onto her home server, then she is in it up to her eyeballs. What's the basis of your suspicion that perhaps so-called classified markings would have been removed? Now, this is the key point here. Well, the documents originated someplace. They didn't drop in from Mars. The person who originated them necessarily put classified markings on them because the State Department has said that they won't release any of them. So they were at one point marked. Now, how did the markings get off? I think if you turn to an email exchange between her and... uh, uh, one of her staffers back in, in 2011. So in 2011, this email has already been released to the public. Hill Dog is uh, – she's in a situation where she needs some talking points and she doesn't have time to screw around because she's about to go on mic and she needs this stuff ASAP. She needs it on her BlackBerry where right she's now. At, where she's at, the fax machine isn't working. You find that she's waiting for a classified uh, set of talking points and at one point says um, – if they can't get a, 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 a secure fax, she says, turn it into non-paper with no identifying heading and send non-secure. She's, in other words, saying, turn it into a digital copy and then just don't put any header information on it and send it over to me, which is an obvious, obvious, obvious understanding of the system, which would be an intentional working around of the classified system. 11. You find that... She's waiting for a classified uh, set of talking points, and at one point says, um, if they can't get a, 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 a secure fax, she says, turn it into non-paper with no identifying heading and send non-secure. Now, that is very particular language relating to the fact that there are three communication systems within the government, non-secure, zipper or secure, and the highest, which is JWIX. The information from Sipper and from JWICS cannot move on the low, on the low end um, system, Nipper. And if you put anything on there that's got those markings on it, it essentially sets off an alarm that alerts the sec- people involved with security. So those markings have to be taken off. And when she said in June of 2011, take the markings off, it becomes apparent that she knew how that system worked. Assume for the purpose of my next question. I think that is... That's uh, a- Big ding. Yeah. Huge ding. That is uh, a major problem for Hillary, if that is true. And here's something I've noticed. Okay. 
if you get through all of this, what comes down to is, and in fact, maybe you know, maybe I'll let him say it cause, uh, because essentially, let me uh, dig in a little bit. If I jump ahead, let's see, right about uh, but against Hillary Clinton. If the decision from... Yeah, okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. So this talks about then what happens if she does get in trouble. Director of the FBI and then sent to the Attorney General. So let me back up a little more. Um, the FBI is conducting the investigation. I believe it is working with people at the Justice Department. Now, at some point, all of this is going to be tied up in a package um, and put before uh, the Director of the FBI and then sent to the Attorney General. If the package appears to contain a crime, then there's going to be a recommendation that a prosecution be brought. Judge, this is complicated stuff. So uh, this comes down to Comey, who is kind of known to not be a big fan of the Clintons. Uh, it comes down to him seeing he's going to get the final presentation by his people. Then he's going to go to the, uh, the, uh, to, the, to the prosecutor and say, I think we should or shouldn't uh, go after her for this. Then, after that... Sum up. Give me the 30-second soundbite so that people who are paying attention at home understand what's really at issue. What's really at issue is there's going to be a decision at some point as to whether a charge should be brought against Hillary Clinton. If the decision from the director of the FBI is that it should, and the attorney general says no, there are going to be people resigning and going public, the same way we saw in connection with the Saturday Night Massacre. If the decision is made to go ahead with the charge... Then we're going to see some negotiation between Hillary Clinton and the White House as to how that proceeds. Mike, Michael Mukasey, former attorney general of the United States. Thank you for being here. All right. So that is particularly damaging for the Hill dog. So, uh, so here's the problem with Comey that I'm thinking about here. He, he has to walk a very fine line if he is going to bring this to light, right, and want to recommend charges or whatever the case may be, bring her in Actually, for an interview. Actually, he is in the best position out of anybody. Yeah, but you got to be careful because everybody knows that he doesn't like the Hill Dog family, right? Mm-hmm. So he he runs a, a very fine line of making it political uh, and saying, well, this this is you're just playing into the Republican hand. You're playing a, a partisan card here. You're not doing this for justice. You're just doing this because she's running for president. So how does he how does he pull this out and not well, make it? He has to have. I mean, if you go if you're going to take down Hillary Clinton, you have to have such an ironclad case. So first of all, it's going to be a clear cut case. Right. Second of all, Comey's in for ten years, yeah, regardless that's true. of the next president. He's in right. for he ten years. He can't be booted. So he's got a really comfortable position right now. Uh, and so I, I, I find it to be sort of fascinating to watch from that position because he's the perfect person in the government because he's got something on her and he can go after her. Right. Uh, and, and he's insulated. So even if she gets in after this attack, uh, he's still protected because he's going to be in there. He's going to outlast her. So <laughs> it's really great for well, him. Well, you know what I, what, I, what I wonder, Chris, is you know, right now, I don't, I don't know if you've heard, uh, but right now, Bernie is actually talking live right now. This is happening live right now as we record this. They're doing a Democratic presidential town hall, both Bernie and Hillary. And oh, wait, no, he's not in it anymore. That other guy. Uh, oh, yeah, O'Malley's out. Yeah, O'Malley's out. Here, I can pump it up a little bit if you need to. In this country. So what we are trying to do, and I would I tell you, Anderson, with some success. Is bring working people and young people. So they're 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 doing a face to face where people can ask happens, questions on stage, you know and they're both we doing it. Yeah, maybe we'll check in. Yeah, let's keep an eye on it. Yeah. So let's talk about the caucus. Let's. That was the big story, and uh, 
the uh, I'm going to play a little clip about the caucus just in case you're not from the U.S., you're not familiar with it. This might be the clip that gets us pulled down off YouTube, which is crap because it's fair use, but here's a little bit. For all the importance placed in what's happening here in Iowa, it can be awfully difficult to understand what the process is inside those caucus rooms. It's much different than a primary, and there are different sets of rules for Democrats and Republicans. NBC News national correspondent Peter Alexander explains it all for us. As the sun sets on Iowa tonight, from downtown Des Moines to the sprawling farms across this state, Iowans gather for the first in the nation votes. Here, caucus day is more like caucus hour. Be there by 7 p.m. or get left out. More than 1,600 precincts in all, churches, schools, even a gun shop and a grain elevator. The Republican caucus is pretty simple. Listen to speeches from all sides, then write your candidate's name on a secret ballot. A winner's announced and delegates divvied up. But for the Democrats, it's a different deal. So uh, it's this is um, sort of interesting. It comes down to a lot of weird little semantics. Uh, a representative from each campaign first makes their pitch to everyone in the room. Then caucus goers break into groups by candidate with an area for those still uncommitted. At most locations, a candidate needs at least 15 percent support in that room to reach what they call viability. So if you don't get 15 percent, you're not in. If your candidate right. doesn't make the cut, things get messy with two choices. Realign with another campaign or join the uncommitteds and get re-recruited from there. Professor Rachel Caulfield is an expert on caucuses. Yeah, good. People get up out of their chairs. They move around the room. There's bargaining. There's interaction. Family members may be trying to persuade each other. This is likely where the heaviest jockeying will begin with the Clinton and Sanders campaigns in a dead heat. Whichever side can scoop up Martin O'Malley's supporters could gain a significant advantage when only viable candidates with 15 percent remain delegates are awarded this complicated system and that 7 p.m cutoff explain why even the all-time high turnout here eight years ago was still so low all right so that's a little bit of the system just in case you're not familiar with it now as you know by now ted cruz some breaking news for you now fox news can now project that texas senator ted cruz has won iowa's republican presidential caucuses beating New York businessman Donald Trump, who finishes second, and Florida Senator Marco Rubio, who finishes a close third. So Rubio is in third, and he's pretty psyched about that. Trump sort of did a humble, uh, uh, kind of a humble uh, speech. And, well, and Cruz, I'm sorry, I don't know. I mean, I only know enough about Cruz to just not for me to get the creeps with him. But the whole, like, he comes off at this pastoring uh you know like a like a church pastor and how he talks to people yeah, it's like yeah i just want to give the glory to the people of iowa you know yeah, he's, like a, he's creepy this, he's, no it's creepy it feels uh, you know, creepy you know, to why, me. you know why you know why i find it creepy is because i have seen footage i've played it on the show before uh of him talking and walking before he gets in front of the camera right and he switches a switch goes off oh. and then he comes into this sort of mode and he goes into that politician speak and it's right. creepy to see it happen uh, but you know what was awkward to watch happen? What? Is they expected, you could tell the media expected a clear win uh, uh, for the Democratic side because they planned to just go live on on MSNBC with your good buddy. My your, good friend. Your, your pal Bri-Wai. Uh He was live on MSNBC. Bri-Wai! 
CNN and Fox were live, and they were planning just to stay live until all of the winners were announced. Uh, in fact, uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign was expecting to fly at 10 p.m. sharp. They were going to wheels up 10 p.m. If you're going to, if you're part of the press crew and you want to fly with Sanders, you better be out here because all the votes will be decided by 10 p.m. sharp. So when the hours rolled on and the media didn't know what to do, it got a little weird. On the Democratic side, the Fox News decision desk, based on all available data, is now classifying Iowa's Democratic presidential caucuses as too close to call. And in that speech by Hillary Clinton, she did not declare victory. She did not talk about where she is in this race. She said this is a big sigh of relief and she will continue to fight. <laughs> yeah, she was actually really careful about the way she said it. But really, it came down to, of course, coin tosses. Yeah, get a coin. Good evening, friends. We start tonight with the historical finish in Iowa. I- Do you know who that is? That guy looks familiar. Yeah. I mean, how close can it get? He is Ed Helms. Ed Helms is uh, a right or a left-wing talk show host, as far as I knew. But now, apparently, he's an anchor for RT. Well, hey, he, you know, he needed a job. He well, wanted- I, I, you know what? He, he actually seems to be better than usually what they have on there. Listen to him go. How about two-tenths of one percent? Hillary Clinton leaves Iowa with the thinnest margin of victory. And it took a flip of the coin to seal it. Six it is them. official. The Iowa Dem- Oh, Ed Schultz. Ed Schultz. Sorry, not yeah, Ed Wait, Schultz. he was uh, he was on MSNBC. I, if I, I think remember so. right. I, yeah. I thought the I, Ed Show. It was the Ed Show yeah, on MSNBC. I so. Yeah, but he also had a radio show too. I, I thought I- Democrat Party announcing this afternoon Clinton wins with forty nine point eight percent of the vote compared to forty nine point six percent. Clinton gathered seven hundred and one state delegates to Sanders 697. The number was 23 convention delegates to 21 favoring Clinton. Over 170,000 Democrats turned out for the razor-thin finish in Iowa, leaving the question, is it accurate? The Sanders campaign says that they want to see the paperwork, but they will not challenge the outcome, and they have made the turn to New Hampshire. For more on this... You know, uh, I was impressed. The Bernie Sanders campaign managed to turn out a pretty damn good vote. A virtual tie, as it were. Iowa, thank you! So what do you think, Chase? Where does this leave you now? Uh, also, since we should just note, uh, since the Iowa caucus, which I don't believe actually has a huge, huge impact in anything. But one thing you do have to give it credit for now is it's shaken out some of the contenders in the race. Yeah. Rand Paul is out today. Yep. Mike Huckabee is yep. out. Uh, Sam Torum is out. Don't forget about O'Malley. O'Malley is out. Yeah. Um, people are asking Jeb if he's going to get out. Uh, <laughs> he's got a lot of money. And yeah, so yeah. he's got enough to carry him for well, a bit so I'm to kind of last. I just, I, I didn't mention somebody else who's well they're saying uh the surgeon uh, oh yeah we'll see about maybe that. he might drop out we'll see about that the, the thing is though with with uh bernie uh coming in a close second thanks to coin flips really because that's what it came down to right six coin flips and they all went to hillary mm-hmm. uh, and i know that there's been some discussions of irregular irregularities yeah, there's, in a, voting there's and a whatever. c-span link in the uh, subreddit about uh some about one of the officials essentially tossing it to clinton improperly yeah. but i will say this Everybody, and he's been 100% right, that Bernie, everybody counted him not even being a factor, right? That this was going to be a walk for Hillary. I think even you put a Red Book prediction saying that there's no doubt Hillary's in. It's 
she's in like Flynn, no big deal. Yeah, you know. But now he's making people second guess, and you know, you think so. You think that the American public is going to, or and you think that the Democratic Party is going to get behind an eccentric seventy-four-year-old independent who has no connections to major industry. Who has no major alliances in the Democratic Party? Unless, he's known as a crank. So here's you the, think that you think that man over somebody who's uniquely qualified, like Hillary Clinton, to run the American like Empire. Uniquely qualified. She is unique in her way to be savvy with politics and her connections. She's backed by major industry like Goldman Sachs. <laughs> she's got connections throughout the Democratic Party. Right. The reason why it's her versus Sanders right now is because no other Democrat had the balls to run against Hillary Clinton. No mainstream establishment candidate had the balls to run against Hillary Clinton. The reason why little boy Rubio is running against Clinton right now is because it's the same. The reason why Trump is running, the reason why they're letting Jeb blow it right now is because no serious contender on the right is going to go up against Hillary Clinton. And now, because of that, we're being left with Ted Cruz. And so I still maintain... Here's why I think this way. Remember when Obama ran eight years ago, he ran on the platform of what was it called? Hope and change. uh, Change. Completely and totally and absolutely different situation. Here's why. Okay. Obama was the star of the Democratic Party. He had given a two. He had given an amazing speech at the year prior at at the convention. But Hillary was there too, right? And remember, she was there, and he they but they had some of the most nastiest. Awfulness. But Barry had mainstream backing and he was considered like he was positioned. The party positioned Barry. The party did. Right. Nobody in the party likes Bernie. Right. The the, the comparison between Barry in 2008 and Sanders doesn't add up because if you look at the history of Barry, when Obama was given – a brilliant opportunity to give a speech at the Democratic convention that set him up perfectly to right, run in 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was done by party officials to, to position him there right. and gave gave this otherwise completely junior senator a chance to be in the mainstream spotlight that he never would have had. And they posi- – nobody but supports the, but, Bernie like but, that. But totally the, different but comparison. Problem, but the problem is – Hillary has a major trust issue right now. Huge trust issue. Yeah. Trust issue. Well, we, we even, just played those email right. clips. Huge yeah. issue, right? Yeah. Huge issue. Yep. And then she doesn't have the confidence of, I think, the most powerful swing vote there is, and that's the young swing vote. That's the 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 people ages eighteen to forty. Are right? you underplaying the significance of the fact that she's a woman? See, here's the thing. She loves to play that card, and obviously, she can play that card. She's a woman. I think, though, that those that are under forty, and this includes men and women. Bernie is polling nearly four to one in some spots, four to one, 80, 20, because of her trustworthiness of the way that she uh, perceives, you know, these attitudes and things like that. I, I have a I have thought for a long time. In fact, it might even be it might be in the red book. And I don't know if this could possibly happen, but all the way Hillary solves this problem. I have said this before on the show. The way Hillary solves this problem is with her VP. Oh, her pick. And if her pick is somebody like Elizabeth Warren, so two women, if it's somebody like or Bernie, if it's somebody like Elizabeth, if she brings in somebody like that as her VP, that'll then you've got the first woman woman president and a progressive VP like that. I think I think that would solve the problem. What if what if, you know, obviously right now Bernie is in New Hampshire. He is uh, going to win that state. I mean, there's really no question at this point. 
Um, Which is going to be great for the news cycle. They're going to eat that up. They're going to eat that up yeah. tremendously. Mm-hmm. The question is, let's say down the road, you know, when, when it's time, time to pick the delegates and, and it's time to make a nomination if, and Hillary's in the lead. Yeah. Do you see a potential opportunity where Hillary goes, you know what, like Barack didn't do for me. Right. We need we need Bernie. I think he's a good guy. We should make him the VP. And then then what do you do? Because then it's like you're taking the best of everything, right? You're, people are, you're going to keep your your the Bernie voters because he's going to be still there, and it's not going to be like a second chance prize that so, Barack gave her for Secretary of State, which it, that's what it felt like to Bernie, me. Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders doesn't want to doesn't want to win this race. Bernie Sanders has no interest in winning. Uh, if he did, so Bernie Sanders just launched a new advertising campaign against Hillary Clinton. Doesn't ever actually say her name. Implies politicians take a lot of money. Never actually says Hillary's name. And you know, because he doesn't want to feel like he's personally attacking. That's because, that's because eventually he's going to just throw in behind her. Because if he wanted to, Billary, Billary, <laughs> you could call out Hillary Clinton for being a warmongering monster with one clip. I just did this in the supporter show. I'll do it right now for the for the regular listeners. All right. It, 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 Bernie Sanders, I think, could play one clip in a national ad, show expose who Hillary Clinton is to the American people, and not need to say anything else. And and we're gonna we're about to talk about the situation in Libya. So I take you back back in time. We played this just a little bit ago. Right. Uh, Hillary Clinton on the news that Gaddafi, the leader of Libya, had been murdered. So, I mean, that is the land of unconfirmed rape. Yes, we came, we saw, he died. <laughs> did it have anything to do with your visit? No, oh, I'm sure it did. So why doesn't Bernie just play that clip? If he wants to win, why, why doesn't he just, he doesn't. Because he doesn't have to. Because he doesn't have to. Because remember, <laughs> he, no, 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 think about it for a minute. You're going up one of the, against one of the most po- powerful po- political no, families no, because, in the history of the country, and he doesn't it, need to. No, he does, No, he doesn't need to, but... The people that are unofficially supporting him, uh, the people that are not a part yeah. of his campaign, yeah. the people that are on Reddit, the, the youngsters in colleges and why things like why that. Isn't, I just don't – I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I don't buy – so here's why. Because when it comes down to the Democratic Party, wants, they want a brand. You've got Brand Clinton versus Bernie Sanders. Not going to happen there. Then the other thing is they could, be this, they could be the party of two historic elections. First, the first black president and then the first woman president. They can't pass that up. That is historical crap right there. Plus, but the problem is with the first woman president, the, that person's name is Clinton. That's the problem, I think. And the also problem is her. if she was anybody else, if she was somebody that didn't have – and I will say woman. It, it was a different woman that didn't have her emails on a private server, that didn't – gaff up you know uh, you know Benghazi that didn't really screw up a lot of things I I think it'd be totally different I really do but but since her name is Clinton <laughs> unless James Comey takes her down she's going to be the next president but, but, I still maintain that but you know but you know that there's no way in hell that he's not going to let this election cycle go without bringing this up there's that's going to happen and it's going to happen at the most wrong time. So I've been watching the Clinton campaign close. And over the last three weeks, I have noticed a huge shift in their behavior. Hillary specifically is being way, way more respectful to Barack. 
she even is now essentially you probably heard her saying like I'm going to continue some of his policies. She's going to she's going to continue some of the oh, she's mentioning his name left and right. In fact, she was asked at a town hall meeting kind of style thing. Hey, what about making Barack a Supreme Court justice? And she's like, oh, that's a great idea. I haven't like she just went on about what a great idea it was. Uh, in fact, well, anyways, uh, here's the thing. So you, I you, hear. Let me tell you why, though. Yeah. I think what the Clinton campaign is doing is they are signaling to the Obama administration, right directly to Barry himself, saying, "If you want somebody in this election to continue your legacy," and she's going on. You know, Obamacare is the way to go forward. We have to keep that going. We have to keep. If you want somebody to keep your legacy going, yeah, you got to work with me, and you got to shut this thing down because eventually it's going to come to Obama. It's going to get to Obama's level, and I think what she's signaling to him is, "I'm your, I'm gonna, I, if you, if Bernie gets in or somebody else gets in, he's not going to give a crap about your legacy. But Hillary, I, I, Hillary, I got your legacies back, Barack. So you, and that, he's all about that. He is all about that. Yeah. And so if you, so I think that's what they're. I think her attempt right now is she's publicly signaling, "I'm aligning with you, so protect me." Oh, that's. I, I won't give you one on that. So that, I think, is how she yeah. might be protected in the long run because she's going she's gonna to try to make a friend in a very high place. Yeah. Plus, if, if he does this for her, she will owe him. So could you so imagine? How, how do they do it in a way where – because the White House has already come out and basically said – and you know, and even President Obama already said this himself. He's not favoring one candidate over the other, yada, yada, yada. So how do you come out and when Hillary is pulling the Obama card and say, hey, I need your help officially, right? Or behind – she picks up the phone at 3 a.m. She makes a 3 a.m. phone call. I don't even know if she has to be that overt. She Does can, she? I think, I think she can just make these signals publicly and, and Obama and the administration watch very closely and they know what it means. Yeah. I think that's – I think they, they simply communicate at that level about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find this to be a, it's, a very interesting backstory that could be developing. I don't know. We could be wrong here. I, let me say this. I know somebody, and I don't want to mention any names or relation to anybody, but I know somebody who is female who um, is not going for Hillary based on her trustworthiness, on how she dances around the questions and how she's not straightforward, how very clearly, and this person's a very smart person, can see how Hillary – for example, takes what six hundred thousand dollars from Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, for speaking engagements, and then the New York Times, uh, or actually, the, I'm sorry, the Goldman Sachs, uh, one of the executives or a side company executive, uh, basically threw their support behind Hillary because they don't they and they also specifically said Bernie would be a disaster for the American people. No, they'd be a disaster for companies like his. It's those kind of things where people are being more and more observant about following the money and also paying attention to words and also paying attention to how media is spinning things. Yeah, but, do you feel like, ago, I mean, but don't you feel like... I'm just thinking the, the power of things now as opposed to eight years ago, and even then eight years ago was like revolutionary and how slick his website is and how his social campaign was incredible. And now, eight years later, it's even more powerful. And it's one of those situations where, and that's why you see, like in Iowa, the huge college turnout for a guy like Bernie, which like eight years ago, you would never even thought that, you know, college age kids would get behind a guy who's 70 plus years old and saying, yeah, these that's things. true. Here's what I think. Uh, I suspect that uh, when it comes to push to shove, like if it's Ted Cruz that gets in there or somebody like that and push comes to shove. Right. 
they're going to say, well, all politicians lie. All politicians are crooks. All politicians have skeletons in their closets. Well, so there, there, is, there, is, there is truth, though. And, I, and by the way, I'm not I, I want to be abundantly clear. I'm not trying to come out myself in favor of one person or the other here. I'm just trying to stay factual as much as I can. But when you look at a guy like Bernie Sanders, who doesn't have a PAC, right, doesn't have a super PAC, is not taking the big money that Hillary is taking. That's that's a huge statement that you how do you argue that statement alone? And, you know, that that one statement where she's taking money left and right. And yeah, yeah. But here's the problem. That's how do you how do you mon- fight that? The money historically has always been whoever has the most money wins. Terms. Right. So uh, I want to play this for you. Okay. I want to. This is Hillary uh, at a at like one of those town hall things, and she's taken she's taken a question here at a campaign event in a campaign event in Iowa. The next president will probably uh, appoint several members of the Supreme Court. Would you consider appointing um, appointed Obama? <laughs> wow! What a great idea. <laughs> Nobody has ever suggested that to me. Wow. I love that. Wow. That's a bribe. I, I tell you what, Obama if would that, love if, that. But if that happened. That's a bribe, dude. No, I know. But if that honestly happened, voters and the general public would have a ape crap. Every, they would just be like, oh, my God. No. Oh, no, no. You're so wrong. You're that's, so wrong. But that's never happened. That's never happened so ever. Once, once, once we're five years – once we're once – we're, well, not five years. Once we're a few years into Hillary's campaign, Obama's going to – You Obama, mean her term that you assume that she will win? Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, Obama's going to be considered a great president. We're going to look back and say you know, he was way better than Bush is what everybody will say. And uh, the general public opinion of him will be high, and so it'll be a slam dunk. Not people will freak the hell out. She's going to try it at least. I think Democrats would freak the hell Don't, out because so it I, sets a bad so what precedent. Politi- what that is in pol- pol- what that is in politics is that's not I'm guaranteeing you this position. That means I'm going to I'll I'll try to I'll try to make it happen for you. That's right. what she's saying. All right, before we get yeah. out of here, we're almost done with the uh, yes. caucus stuff. Before we get it done, though, we we should probably talk a little bit about uh, about uh, Trump. And uh, before we talk about Trump at the caucuses, something that happened that I thought was actually kind of interesting before that was Trump declined to join the Fox News debate. Oh, that's right. And he thinks it was a success. This is like the Academy Awards. Donald Trump declaring victory after taking a big gamble, taking on Fox News, skipping its debate. I did something that was very risky, and I think it turned out great because I'm on the front page of every paper. I'm getting more publicity than if I I said this. I said this. did the unthinkable, tangling with the GOP's favorite news source after a network spokesperson sarcastically suggested that the leaders of Iran and Russia would treat the billionaire unfairly if he becomes president. Even on debate day, he was ticking off Fox by retweeting attacks against Fox star Megan. You know what I like about Trump uh, now that I watch this is that he managed to piss off the Republican establishment and Fox News and yet still do pretty well with the public. <laughs> but you know what? He's I would, pissed off both sides. I, I would Everybody. say I actually think that Trump not being at the debate cost us in the sense that it gave Marco Rubio, Rubio NSA lover, Marco Rubio, a better position. I want to bring in CNN senior media correspondent Brian Stelter, host of Reliable Sources, as well as Alex Castellanos, who's a Republican strategist and founder of NewRepublican.com. Brian, first to you. Um, Bad strategic move by Donald Trump to skip that debate. 
certainly Fox News says so. The commentators have been united against uh, Trump on that point. I spoke to a senior Rubio aide just now who says they believe Trump not being on that stage last week did help Rubio, gave him more talk time, for example, to make a closing argument. The conventional wisdom after the debate was that Trump had won by not being there. And we were all citing data from Twitter and Facebook showing Trump was the most talked about candidate. Well, being talked about is not always a good thing. There's news and then there's good news. That might have been bad news for Trump. Yeah, I could see that a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I do think it gave Rubio more airtime. And I think Rubio is a train wreck. I watched his, uh, his, his, I guess, his speech, you could call it, where he completely fumbled every other word. Uh, I think that his pro-NSA stance is deplorable. It's not backed yeah, on any kind of fact. Right. And now the, the word is that they want to make him the establishment candidate for the uh, GOP, which, which I think is yeah. – Right now, the whole – everything it's so screwed up this is i mean you know whether you're a democrat republican libertarian independent communist whatever you want to call yourself right now the lineup all of them it's like what do you get it's a clown show it's a, it's it's a huge clown show it's a clown show because nobody wants to run against hillary and and it's honestly the worst i can ever remember it in my entire life you know why uh paul ryan didn't run for president again because he doesn't want to go up against hillary you watch as soon as hillary's not in the race anymore as soon as she's out paul ryan's going to be back and running for president and we'll also have like nine democratic candidates red book prediction right there ladies and gentlemen write that s down so now, all right so you're you're still you're still holding firm that she's in Unless Comey gets away with uh, locking her down uh, with some sort of, you know, ironclad case. Yeah. Okay. And if she's in one term, two term? I think she's one term. Okay. I think she gets in one term and then I think the American people freak out and they really elect a radical new president. But I don't think we're quite there yet. Wow. And I don't think it's Bernie Sanders. I just don't think he's electable right now. Mm. Uh, I would tell you it'd be really good for the show if I'm wrong. It'd be really good for the show if I'm wrong. Uh, what? what are you like? No, no, checking I'm, in on Hillary there? I'm checking. Well, the opportunity we do now to have a real contest of ideas, to really think hard about what the Democratic Party stands for uh, yeah. and what we want the future <laughs> of our country to look like. What, are you laughing at Bill? Uh, he's biting bit. his lower lip. Yeah, he does that a lot. Yeah, he does that a lot. I am a progressive. There were a lot of your supporters uh, who, when they heard that. All right. So yeah. uh, let's uh, wrap it up. Yeah. Let's wrap up the uh, politics stuff. But it's By getting way, more and more interesting. Next, next week, um, you know, the whole coverage of New Hampshire is going to be next. Wait. Well, actually, no. Fun. No, isn't there? We have a scheduling problem next week, don't we? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't know if we're going to make it next week. Oh, we're not? Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because. Can't reschedule. I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, maybe Tuesday, but I don't know for sure. I don't. Okay. I don't know. When is the uh, when is uh, the New uh, Hampshire? Yeah, I don't know. Because if I, we could I figure think it's Monday out. or Tuesday, maybe we just do a live event of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me see. I'll, I'll check on that for you. Yeah, check in on that because yeah, we have some scheduling problems next week. Uh, the eighth or the 9th, February 9th is what the chat room is saying. February ninth. That's at a what Tuesday. Time? That's Tuesday. So maybe we maybe what we'll do is we'll you, you want to kind of tentatively plan for that? Yeah. Let's, yeah. We'll do like a we'll do like an evening uh, live stream. I don't know exactly when it starts, but uh, yeah. Well, it's a it's a closed primary. Um, you know, people will will vote. Um, and we'll and- do the multi stream. We'll uh, so this is what you can do if you want to follow it. You can tune into uh, jblive.tv and we'll pull in multiple networks into the uh, studio here, and then we'll be able to jump around and see what their coverage is because yeah. that's some of the best stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jump around. Yeah. It. So next next Tuesday, and that solves our problem for well, the fact that uh, we have a scheduling problem Wednesday. Yeah. 
which oh, that's that's great. I, I love doing live events. Yeah. And so even if it starts before you make it here, I'll start it up. But hopefully the time will work out. Oh, yeah, and, and definitely. Will. And it's going to be all over. And obviously every network yeah. is going to be spinning it. You know, and that's the best just part. Just before we move off the caucuses, uh, I was very closely trying to evaluate which network I thought did the best. Obviously, this kind of goes without saying, but Fox News did pretty good at evaluating the right. When it came time after Ted Cruz was announced uh, the uh, victorious for the uh, Republicans, they really kind of fell apart. They could not do very good analysis of the left mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, MSNBC with Bry-Y, it was Bry-Y and Rachel teamed oh, up. okay. Pretty good for left stuff. And then CNN, CNN's been going in on these huge panels where they have uh, Anderson moderating them and then Wolf is hosting. And the problem is, is they're really big tables, like four or five people at each table. And one of the people on the right table is... Frickin' Mike Rogers. Oh. And so Mike Rogers is just, you know, always there to fear monger. So the CNN is really a mess. They're talking over you. So I really I had to give it to Fox and MSNBC for the best coverage. Yeah. It I was, was really sw- you know who you know you know who is smooth? Mm. That Brywy man. He is the smoothest, you know, doing the transitions, waiting for them to come up on stage and trying to get the ad yeah, spot but, in. And- man, I feel so – I do feel bad for the guy. I mean, granted, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, yeah. he was actually golfing with the Dalai Lama himself. Well, there's that. Yeah. There's that. So really quickly, just want to do a quick uh, touch in on Oregon we, before we really end our domestic heavy stuff. I've been sort of preloading with some you know, U.S. stuff and then we yeah. sort of expand out to the rest of the world. So uh, as of right now, I would say I've heard no coverage – of the Oregon standoff since there was that traffic stop and the shooting. Oh, yeah. There is basically, as far as you would know, there has been... It's well, we've done. Heard it's the, over. well, we've heard the scatter of a couple of people that are still there yeah, and, not, so and not wanting I'll cover to that just because it's really been spotty on how much you've been hearing of that. Right. We will... Today marks exactly one month since the Oregon standoff began at the National Wildlife Reserve right outside of Burns, Oregon. Still, four occupiers remain inside the federal compound despite the fact that all their leadership has been arrested and one of the militiamen, Lavoy Finnicum, is dead. It seemed that the standoff had entered its final days, but now, according to The Guardian, the father of the Bundy brothers has a different opinion. RT's Alexei Ryshevsky, who just returned from Oregon, reports with the latest. Last week, when I was in Oregon reporting on the standoff between the Bundy militia and the federal authorities, it seemed to many locals and to us that the three-week-long conflict may have drawn to a close. It doesn't seem so, according to Cliven Bundy, the father of the Bundy brothers, also known for a standoff with the federal government of his own in 2014. The Nevada rancher now says he wants the protesters in Oregon to stand their ground, directly defying the message of his son, Ammon, and to some extent assuming leadership of the protest. Days after Ammon Bundy called on the remaining occupiers of the Mueller National Wildlife Refuge to surrender and go home, the elder Bundy sent a letter to government officials declaring that the armed militia would not be backing down. The letter published by The Guardian says, This is notice that we, the people of Harney County, and also we, the people of the citizens of the United States, do give notice that we will retain possession of the Harney County Resource Center. On Monday, the letter was sent to the local sheriff, Oregon Governor Kate Brown, and the White House. The man himself specified in an interview from his ranch that what this is saying is that Cliven Bundy is taking control of things. If we don't retain it, then we lost everything that we've done in the last two months. We're not going to give up, end of quote. 
He also added that this is not Ammon's message, this is my message. We've made a decision to retain the grounds. The feds are going to get out of there, end of quote. Cliven Bundy also said he suspected that his imprisoned son felt pressured to urge the remaining occupiers to go home. Ammon, his brother Ryan, and a group of activists are facing federal felony charges. So I think that's interesting. And right now on the live town hall debate, it's they're doing a... He says he's undecided, leaning toward you. David, thanks for being here. What's your question? They were doing a uh, how progressive is President Obama. Let's give them all a chance to suck up to President Obama right there, which I thought was good. Mm. But now they've moved on to uh, another question. Well, yeah, you got a guy who's and on the my fence. My biggest concern these days is uh, the the availability of opiates and, and other drugs. Really? Substances, um, on the street and the effects that they have on our, it's a drug know, question. On our youth. The timing of this is interesting since the Obama administration is trying to raise this problem right now. My, uh, my question to you is... We're losing 129 people a day in this country. Um, he just in, randomly in knows that stat. Well, uh, this guy is a recovery a coach. At, you know, Unbelievable. M- minimally. Um, and my, uh, my question to you is, if, uh, what would you do um, in order to secure recovery services for those that have slipped through the, the cracks Look, of prevention and, and moved on to treatment? Thank you very much for your question. Uh, it is a crisis here in New Hampshire, and by the way, it is a crisis in Vermont. You may recall our governor gave his State of the Union speech a year ago on this issue because, you know, people think, well, New Hampshire and Vermont, these are rural states, not a problem. You are right. It is a terrible problem. He's coming across pretty good, isn't he? For a start, I think he really shines in these settings because he's able to really humanize. Be honest. a health issue, not a criminal issue. A health issue, not a criminal issue. That's what I was waiting to see if he'd say. And I, all right, so there we go. All right, so uh, before we move into the terrorism categories and go out to the rest of the world, Chase. Terror, terror, terror. I want to mention that this show is audience funded, and we really do appreciate the support of our unfiltered supporters. That's right. Patreon.com slash unfiltered is where you go. That's right. And it's a great platform to fund this show. We keep we keep the we keep wavering. Like we keep dipping. We go we go up to like four twenty five, then we drop down to four sixteen. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Uh, well, one thing you got to realize, and I I I think I've run into this as well because I have a Patreon as well for the Minecraft thing. Yeah. And people um, credit cards will expire yeah, and they don't yeah. update them. Um, I know, uh, and sometimes people just they set it on autopilot and they don't think about it. Yeah, I I would encourage people to please reconsider and double down on support because to be honest with you, uh, this year is off to a bang and there is so much now for the Unfiltered Show to be covering. This year is going to be amazing. This is the this could be this could be a highlight. Maybe this is our peak and we should just wrap it up. After, no, I'm kidding. But uh, we really could use you mean your after support. Hillary becomes president in right. your eyes, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think so, after they declare it a draw and they start over. But not just not only keeping us on the air, uh, you also get access to the supporter show, yeah. which is huge. It is it is it is really you download that one show and it is all of the news you need to know for the entire week. It's everything. Everything doesn't fit in this show, and often a lot more context to the stuff that we do cover in this show. At five dollars or more, you get access to our source code, all of the clips, everything for the show, the art assets. All of that stuff. And you're helping do a distributed backup. Patreon.com slash unfilter. It's an audience-funded effort because we want to be able to, A, sit down and ask ourselves, what would we do? What do we want to talk about that 416 people are going to care about? Not what do we want to talk about that is going to generate the most clicks? Because once we have sponsorships, it's not even a matter of us being influenced by our sponsors. 
Uh, although it is hard to say, hey, would you like to sponsor this show where we sometimes fry conspiracy bacon and, and talk about how Hill Dog might be making backdoor deals with the Obama administration? I mean, we did have a gun show sponsor last week, and that was nice. So, you know, yeah. so it is – there is it's that tough. awkward yeah. way to – it's sort of hard to sell the concept yeah, to a sponsor. Right. But it's not really so much that they would sponsor uh, us and then all of a sudden we would be dramatically influenced. It's, it, the more, the, it's more about the fact that once you take on sponsorship – what you are committing to is trying to at least strike a topic that's going to get as much interest in the general public as possible. Yeah. You've got to kind of shoot big because, you know, uh, sponsor engagement is what keeps those sponsors around. There, that, and that is, that is actually a very good competitive way to run some shows. It makes some shows like, you know, last – uh, better shows. Uh, and But for other shows that are talking about Hillary Clinton making backdoor deals with the Obama administration through the news media, uh, those shows are better funded by their audience where the focus is what makes that group of people who support us happy. Not what's going to get the most clicks, what's going to get everybody riled up, because you know, then there's all kinds of things we could pull in here that would be outrageous. You know, there's people out there that do that right now. We don't have to be those people, no. but there are people out there. Oh boy, here he is again. You know who I'm talking about. So anyway, Patreon.com slash unfilter. We really appreciate your support, and we could use more of it, much more of it, actually. And thank you for those who do support us. Thank you so much. Now, let's talk about the dramatic state of jihad in the United States. <laughs> the threat of homegrown terrorists attacking inside the U.S. has dominated the conversation in the presidential race, especially after San Bernardino. Radical Islamic terrorism. He can't stand it. Has declared war on America. I'm sorry. I just don't like his cadence. Radical Islamic terrorism has declared war on America. Chris, I need to talk to you. He doesn't talk talk like that when the camera's not on. I know. But I need to talk to you in this way so you understand. What I'm saying. What I'm going to be saying. He's trying to sound presidential. He's trying so hard. And consoling. The other problem about it is, is the way he does it is what you hear in the subtext is, I love myself so much. I love myself. And that's why it's hard to listen to it because you can hear how much he lo- Ted Cruz loves you know, Ted Cruz. I'm wearing blue jeans because I care about you. And I'm relaxed. I- I'm in charge. I got my sleeves rolled up. But I'm relaxed. But I'm ready to go. The Islamists are a grave threat and we have a president who will not even utter the words, much less stand up and defend this country. We have a serious problem with, as you know, with radical Islam. We have a tremendous problem. It's not only a problem here, it's a problem all over the world. I want to find out why those two young people, those two horrible young people in California, when they shot the 14 people, killed them. People they knew. People that held a wedding reception for them. I want to find out. Many people saw pipe bombs and all sorts of things all over their apartment. Why weren't they vigilant? Why didn't they call? And this is one of the risks of homegrown violent extremism. Rubio can't get a sentence out without, <laughs> without stumbling over himself. Well, it's early in the morning, so maybe. This is a problem. Vigilant. Why didn't they call? And this is one of the risks of homegrown violent extremism. These are not people that have ever done anything before uh, who suddenly become radicalized and within months are taking action. You know, these people. We cannot give in to fear. We need a comprehensive strategy to counter each step in the process that can lead to an attack like the one in San Bernardino. CNN's national security analyst Peter Bergen researched the threat and the response to homegrown terror. His new book is called United States of Jihad. Welcome, Peter. 
So Peter here is uh, CNN. And uh, Peter often seems a little drunk and out of it on CNN. So I was surprised to see he wrote this book. Good morning. Are you hearing anything that suggests a solution to uh, the battle against terrorism in the political campaign? Well, we've heard a lot of rhetoric. Um, I mean, I think one of the reasons Donald Trump and Ted Cruz are doing well is they seem to provide answers. Ted Cruz is saying we should carpet bomb ISIS. Well, that actually is not such a good idea because ISIS is embedded in the civilian population in Syria. And, Ted Cruz, and uh, Ted Donald Trump has said we should ban all Muslim immigration. Yet most of the people who are carrying out these attacks are Americans, American residents, American okay, citizens. So that doesn't really solve the problem either. So that's a really important point because yeah. you go in this book and you <clears> go and talk to many of the friends and family of those who have been arrested. Yeah. Put underline that. How many have been arrested since 9-11? Jeff, a guess? Oh, hold on. Zero. <laughs> no, 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 no. Think about all those FBI cases where oh. they've been framing guys, oh, supplying yeah. them with the uh, ammo, supplying yeah, yeah, them with yeah, the yeah, money, yeah, the transportation, sorry. the bombs. I, and by the way, I dinged the 9-11 reference. Uh, you know this last, this last guy that yeah. they arrested just a couple of weeks ago? Uh, the FBI informants drove him to Walmart and gave him the money. To buy like supplies to make you know all the supplies you need to hide a body, but so that way, just so that way, in court they could have the receipt from Walmart of all the things he bought. They're like, look at he was intended to kill people because he stopped by Walmart. I'm going to give you two guesses: hmm. uh, eighteen, okay, and thirty-three. Ah, it, uh, a little more, a little more. Forty-two. There have been more than three hundred cases Whoa, of wow, people really? involved in some kind of jihadi terrorism crime, and they're overwhelmingly American citizens and residents. Yes. Some kind of jihadi crime. They're uh, overwhelmingly American oh, citizens. Oh, wait. Here's some interesting stats. Four gonna... out of five are Americans. Yes. Four out of five are Americans. So it was interesting yeah. to me. So but... banning them would not have solved this problem. <laughs> no. Oh, so, so what I love about Nora is... Nice job, Nora. Nora is so focused on, rebu- on refuting a Donald Trump thing that she completely misses the fact that all 50 states have investigation, 900, of act- 900, 900 active investigations... 56 arrests. I mean, Major Nadal Hassan, who killed 13 people at Fort Hood, Texas, was as American as anybody, you know, in the United States. He was born in Virginia. So banning the immigration would not have worked. So what did you find were the roots of their radicalism? Twitter, well, you know, Facebook? everybody's complicated and each person is a little bit different. Some people have personal disappointments. Some people, you know. Some people post on Facebook and then are contacted by an FBI informant who then, then rushes them down the process. Get on the ground! So this last guy that they just arrested, like I was talking about a couple weeks ago, the FBI informant started working with him over two years, working him over for two years. Wow. Su- supply, transportation, funding, means, all of it. Uh, object to American foreign policy. Some people, you know, some people, uh, some people object to American foreign policy. So these four out of five American citizens who go jihad, uh, you're telling me that all of them even know what American policy, foreign policy even is? Or Islamic, um, you know, very you know, radical. You know, um, I'm making this up. Um, right. uh, you know, each person is a little bit different. Often there's a sort of cocktail. Oh, it's a cocktail oh, of uh, jihadi. Okay. A, a cocktail of jihadi, Chase. Uh, but how do they go from radical to action? Yeah. Well, the FBI does that part. Yeah. Well... <laughs> well, I wrote the book. Uh, I wrote the entire so book. So if you look at chapter 27 of my book, you will know. Does it feel like he's making all of this up? How does he not know the answer? Well, and he has to think about it and his eyes wander off. Yeah. Well, I see. Uh, uh, but how do they go from radical to action? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. you know that, you know, the FBI spends a lot of time thinking about this issue. And, you know, and trapping these people. Yeah, yeah, and, and engaging so them. So here's my point with this clip is what we have is an industry based around results. Uh, so there is uh, a authorization that gives Obama uh, authorization to, to go fight ISIS all over the world. Uh, Lindsey Graham and uh, McConnell are putting that out. And in this, in this legislation, they cite news broadcasts and statements where they talk about these problems as evidence as to why they need to have unlimited war powers everywhere. So these news segments become cited as evidence themselves for legislation. And really what this guy is reporting on and writing a book about is not the cause of all of this, but the symptom. And the symptom is the FBI entraps these people and then goes out and says, hey, look, we have a huge terrorism win. This isn't this isn't crazy Chris talking. Just no. you, I know. And, and these people, by the way, they're they're disturbed. They're obviously, you know, they're they're having they issues. Are, they did something to get on their radar right. in the first place. Right. And they're upset about the country for some reason. Right. The, the, and they want to cause harm for some reason. You know, Sometimes literally, it's though, in one some, case, I mean, literally in one case, uh, they argue that one of them was was mentally challenged. Yeah. Even. Uh, but the guy on Facebook said something dumb about Obama. Because it's not a crime in this country to be a radical, to have radical exactly. ideas. Mm-hmm. And you can see how the FBI can get away with this. Look, we live in a country of free speech, and we have to make sure that sometimes when people say these things, they're not going to carry through with this. And so when we give them the means and when our informants work with them, well, they never would have they never would have gotten connected in the first place if they didn't say these things, and they wouldn't have carried it through if they weren't serious. Yeah, we supplied them the money, the transportation, and the means, but you know they yeah, did it, yeah. and that's how they say it's not entrapment. Um, but you know the FBI is looking at for things like: Are you starting to assemble weaponry? I mean, the, you know, what are the indicators that might indicate that you're on the pathway to violence? Yeah, but before you assemble the weapons, you have to have some moment in which you've crossed some line saying, "I'm going to do something." Yeah, and I mean. That, the, that's a very that's a puzzle. You know, I try to answer that question in my book. But for each pers- for each individual, that's you know a very individual. No decision. common denominator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no common denominator. But you also found though here are people who are born and raised in this country. But then there's also actual some common denominators, right? Country who are cheering for American teams. They're playing video games. But you found that there's a certain profile. Their average age is 29. Yeah, like a common they're, right. they're not loser type people. As they're not. Say. This guy is such a dummy. The, the kind of young hotheads of popular yeah. imagination. You know, a third of them are married. A third have kids. Uh, they're as educated as the average American. American similar incomes, you know, these are ordinary Americans. You said the American dream has been good to them. Yes, well, American Muslims in general. I mean, the American Muslims are well integrated into American society in a way that's not true in places like Paris or London. Is this a growing threat for the United States? No, I think it's actually a threat that we've managed pretty well. Nearly a decade and a half after 9-11, you know, the, on 9-11, there were 16 people on the no-fly list. Now they're 47,000. I mean, we have we created our defenses are very good. That's what, if, you, if we'd had this conversation in 2002 and we said that since there were only 45 Americans would be killed in this country by jihadi terrorists, that would have seemed impossibly optimistic. And yet, you know, so we, we, we've done a pretty good job. We've heard from the FBI director, James Comey. They now have active investigations in all 50 states, ISIS sympathizers. How, though, did we miss the San Bernardino couple? Oh, Uh, it's because, um, you see, we weren't watching their their chat messages and they were using Telegram. Right. uh, You know, we need to have a backdoor in that phone. (laughs) So uh, let's go to our police forcing around the world. We have other clips in there, too. Uh, By the way, uh, some police chiefs uh, have gotten together and are testifying that they need additional funding and that they need access to the federal intelligence agency's information because, Mm -hmm. in their words, 
after San Bernardino, we are stepping up the if you see something, say something campaign from Homeland Security. And so since they're stepping that up, these these police chiefs. Well, you know what? I'll just I'll just play it for you. I'm sitting here telling you. I'll just play it yeah, for fair you. Enough. Well, this just in, police chiefs from some of the nation's largest cities testifying today about the growth of ISIS after the terror group released a new video renewing calls for an attack within the United States. Our chief intelligence correspondent, Catherine Harris, is live from Washington with more. Catherine? Thank you, Jenna. The Please hearing this morning before the Senate Homeland Security Committee is investigating the accelerated pace of radicalization. So they're investigating the accelerated pace of radicalization on this panel. That sounds, what what could go wrong there, right? <laughs> now, I want you to listen to the tense in the way she talks about these things, because it's all about the tense. And the new challenges for first responders who now find themselves on the front line responding to domestic terrorism acts. A U.S. intelligence official confirms that 36,000 foreign fighters have now traveled to Syria from at least 120 countries. So she starts throwing these numbers at you that really have nothing to do with the fact that the police officers are worried about getting more calls. And of that, at least 6,600 have Western passports. So since 6,000 people could come back that have passports, they have to be super vigilant. Allowing them to travel to the U.S. without a visa. This means despite the 16-month bombing campaign, the number of foreign fighters has nearly doubled along with the number of countries affected. The December massacre by Tashfeen Malik and Saeed Farouk in San Bernardino, California, also showed how overseas intelligence is fused into domestic investigations. So overseas intelligence has fused into domestic investigations. Ooh, that sounds good. Malik was radicalized before she entered the U.S. on a fiancé visa, and the message trapped... Hill Dog is taking the stage, just a brief interruption. This is live. You've, uh, you've obviously had a in, pretty incredible several uh, past couple of days. Congratulations on winning in, in Iowa. New Hampshire has always been good to the Clintons. How does it feel out there? It feels great. I've had... Um... Yeah, all right. So continuing on. <laughs> so continuing on. Uh, so this is about Hillary. to get to the good part here. Back to you, Chris. showed that her future husband was a supporter of radical Islam and martyrdom. After San Bernardino, the See Something, Say Something Homeland Security campaign has taken on a higher profile. Oh. Okay, so here it goes. This is the important part. And local police forces are the ones who will receive the suspicious... Will receive... ...activity reports... But without intelligence from the federal agencies or overseas, it may be impossible to act in a timely way. So because they might receive calls, not they are or have, but because they might receive calls, they need access to federal intelligence, the year domestic police force. Even the prepared testimony this morning that was read into the record was done in a serious and sobering manner. All right, here comes the sobering testimony. I'm sure he's going to say, but, we're, but wait a minute, we're receiving Chris, thousands of calls, Chris, hundreds of thousands of Chris, calls. Chris, when I read the transcripts later, uh-huh. How can I inflect any serious manner? Well, she's going to play a clip for us. Yeah, but but if I were to read the transcripts, I'm not going to get that inflection. No, no you need it. So we'll, we'll, uh, get, we'll get audio for you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. On the wake of the San Bernardino incident, there has been a significant focus on the if you see something, say something campaign. Okay, so there's been a focus on a campaign. Have All you right. seen this uh, focus? No. No, neither. These calls will likely come into local PDs. Will likely. Suspicious activity complaints. If the local law enforcement agencies are not aware of critical information pertaining to subjects in their community that are on the state or FBI's radar, then we are missing a key piece of the preventative puzzle. So his argument is they need to talk to us because they might get a bunch of calls. They need access to federal level intelligence information. Totally. Your police officers in your town need access to the CIA and NSA data. Yikes. 
Yikes. Hey, don't worry. They have one of those stingrays, right? And they can get that information that way, too. You know, that's true. That's true. Hey, Chase, hey, uh, you know what uh, you like doing? What do I like to do? You've always said, yeah. don't pull out of Afghanistan. You like staying in Afghanistan. That's no, a, no. I, that's said, a, don't, I said, don't pull out of Afghanistan. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Don't pull out of Afghanistan. All right. Well, I got good news, Chase. After more than $7 billion and more than 20,000 dead or wounded U.S. troops... Some of the last of our forces to leave Afghanistan might end up being Americans who are not yet born. That's according to the reporting of the Washington Post newspaper. The war in Afghanistan has already become America's longest war. And now the Washington Post reports some of America's top military commanders are talking about plans to keep U.S. forces on the ground in Afghanistan for decades to come. You may remember President Obama has canceled his previous plans to withdraw nearly all U.S. forces by next year. Right now, there are just fewer than 10,000 American troops on the ground in Afghanistan, we're told. The Washington Post reports Afghan government forces are lacking leadership and lacking the will to fight. The Taliban have been retaking territory, and al-Qaeda is still using parts of that country as a safe haven. In essence, it's an enormous mess. One senior Pentagon official tells that newspaper, quote, what we've learned is that you can't really leave. <laughs> They're you know, sucked in forever. You know what I think? Wow. Uh, just my, my quick take might be is yeah. that it might be related to Russia. It might be that uh, we it might have more to do with well, Russia. Well, you know, that else. makes a little sense just because of the fact that Russia was what involved in Afghanistan in the 1980s, right? So yeah, makes yeah. sense. And it's real close to Russia and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, before we get to uh, before we get to Russia, speaking of uh, troops, yeah, keeping troops in places, uh, you know, we need you know what we need to do. What's that? Keep some troops in Libya. The United States is considering relaunching military action in Libya, a resolution allowing President Obama to use all necessary and appropriate force against Islamic State is now being considered by Congress. On Thursday, the State Department stressed that counterterrorism remains a top priority for the government. So uh, we got this problem. You see, ISIS is showing up in Libya. And Chase, if you uh, if you recall the map I sent you earlier today, yes, I remember seeing this. Map. And I'll have it linked in the show notes as well. Yes. Um, funny enough, it seems like not predomin- not in all cases, but predominantly, ISIS seems to be where uh, the oil assets are in Libya. Oh, isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. Just just a hell of a thing. And hmm. uh, yeah, so now ISIS is in there, so we got to go in there, and ISIS is right by the oil assets. And Libya doesn't have a stable government, so it would be a good opportunity to go in there and uh, get some American assets. And of course, uh, you got to make sure that you get the, all of the, all of your ducks in a row. Well, they're establishing... this is Ash Carter, duh, duh. <laughs> the guy that is in charge of the strongest military, or, or uh, the Pentagon's chief guy, <laughs> our defense sec- secretary of defense, Ash Carter, uh, giving the justification for why more resources must be spent on Libya. Uh, uh, the, the installations where they train people. Uh, w- <laughs> Did you see this? Did you see that look on his uh, face? Oh, I don't know. He's making it up. Watch his face. Watch his face. He's making it up. Look at it. People, uh, they're welcoming <laughs> the shrug of his shoulders. The way he did one of those. Eh, yeah, yeah, eh. yeah. Look at that face. Look at, eh. He's making this up. Why we get this? Is why we gotta go to Libya? Years past, they did in Syria and Iraq. That we don't want to be 
on a glide slope to a situation like Syria and Iraq. That's the reason why we're watching it that closely. That's the reason why we develop um, uh, options for what we might do in the future. So it's not just the U.S. too. This is apparently a larger effort. Uh, The U.K. is considering sending some boots on the ground. Britain is apparently considering sending a thousand troops to Libya to boost forces fighting Islamic State. The UK's Times newspaper reports that American and British military, diplomatic and special forces teams are making frequent trips to Libya. The countries are trying to persuade the Libyan government to accept the troops, although it's raising fears that more violence could erupt in the region. RT asked the UK's Ministry of Defence for a comment on the reports. A spokesperson there didn't deny the plans and said no decision has been reached. In 2011, the UK was among the countries who sent troops to Libya to oust Muammar Gaddafi, actions which were criticised for triggering the rise of Islamic State. We came, we saw... Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on the situation in Libya. Now, let's talk about Russia. So, Mr. Chase. Yes, Mr. Chris. We have some very important things to cover. Okay. There has been some serious Russian aggression. And as such, Ash Carter has said, Russia is the top threat. Not I, wait, a, I thought it was ISIS, Chris. Nope, ISIS is number five on the list. Oh. Right, we're going to get to all this, but Russia is the top. Russia's a, Russia and their aggression. Uh, and China's number two. Ah, okay. Yeah, China's number two. Washington State so number four. there's only one thing to do after all of this aggressive Russian action that we've been witnessing. Build up the troops along the Russian border. Oh. It is an ominous show of force and an unmistakable signal by the U.S. to Vladimir Putin. The White House says it wants to quadruple the money it spends on its forces in Europe, a move that could ramp up tensions between America and Russia, which U.S. commanders view as a top threat to national security. We're taking a strong and balanced approach to deter Russian aggression. Analysts say that... So the Russian aggression would be... What exactly? Yeah, what's the problem? Approach means the Pentagon is likely sending many more heavy weapons, armored vehicles, and other equipment to its NATO allies. Because of Russian aggression. Now, this isn't aggressive? In Central and Eastern Europe. I can't underscore how big a deal it is because it's not just the the equipment going in there being prepositioned, but also the people will be there again rotating through on a regular basis. And it's about five thousand troops. So we're putting five thousand troops. We're sending massive equipment on on the NATO borders. Heavy equipment. Yeah. U.S. officials say the added weapons will ensure America has a combat brigade always ready to deploy in Eastern Europe. Even though Putin's been quiet recently along his borders with his chief NATO rivals, analysts see the latest U.S. moves as a way to counter Putin's previous aggression in Ukraine. Counter-aggression with aggression. So they're countering... They're, they're countering... But the situation with Crimea, uh, and and I guess this, there's still the uh, they're still fighting in Ukraine. But I don't see how that justifies this level of buildup. And what I love about it is there's actually they managed to spin this around and say, "You should just wait." Now we're going to get rhetoric from Putin about about how bad NATO is and how they're building up defenses on their borders. But then that's exactly what they're doing. Right. His deployment of naval forces, including submarines, near his rivals, even using his air force to buzz this American carrier in what some call a Cold War-style cat and mouse. 
Mr. Putin believes Western leaders are weak. He believes that by intimidation, he can persuade Western leaders to adopt a softer course in response to his aggression in Ukraine and perhaps elsewhere. But if America is going to counter that aggression with a heavy show of force near Putin's Western flank, experts say there are risks, including the possibility of more Putin saber rattling. So, so when we are doing the like the, the the very definition of saber rattling, we now call him out for saber rattling that he might do about our saber rattling. Well, I think you're going to hear a lot of rhetoric coming out of Moscow. You're going to hear Kremlin officials saying that oh, once again, NATO's encircling Russia. Former Pentagon official Evelyn Farkas says Putin's also likely to respond by showing that he won't back down. He may have his warplanes buzz more American ships or bases. He might send his submarines out to menace American ships or their allies. A Russian official responded strongly to the planned U.S. moves, telling CNN they are destabilizing to European security, an attempt by the United States to escalate tensions. I'm driving off laughing, this is what I'll say. <laughs> This to me seems like it's an opportunity to sort of screw with relations between Russia and the EU, make tensions super high, and and of course justify massive yeah. NATO expansion. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this plays right into uh, our next clip. I said our next clip. The Pentagon chief Ashton Carter has announced a fourfold increase in the U.S.'s defense budget for Europe in the last couple of hours. Fourfold increase in defense spending in Europe. Hey, Chris, uh, you know, good thing we're in that budget surplus right now because <laughs> know, we have right. a lot of money to spend. Tons of extra cash. Tons. Of, you, can you check that balance sheet real quick? <laughs> Citing Russian aggression as the oh. main reason for it. Wait, Washington oh. plans now then to spend a whopping three point four billion dollars countering it. Wow! Yeah! ...of ISIL and the resurgence of Russia. We're taking a strong and balanced approach to deter Russian aggression. Reinforcing our posture in Europe to support our NATO allies in the face of Russia's aggression. Uh-huh. Russia topped Ashton Carter's list of global challenges facing America. He also cited two in order, China, North Korea, followed by Iran. Islamic State, uh, you might find it a bit peculiar to hear, was mentioned down the list in fifth place. Though the U.S. Defense Secretary wants to spend more on fighting ISIL than on security in Europe, $7.5 billion. $7.5 billion just to fight ISIL. Wow. Experts believe that Washington's seeking to become the world's sole military superpower. Yeah. I've emphasized this. We're in a new world. Uh, Russia is not our enemy, should not be treated as our enemy. Says the guy on RT. Uh, yeah, that is, though, that is remarkable. That is absolutely remarkable. Now, let's uh, turn to Turkey. There's a little bit of uh, shenanigans going. Turkey once again claimed that Russia violated their airspace. Russia has denied claims another one of its military jets has violated Turkish airspace near the Syrian border. RT correspondent Daniel Bushel spoke to me about what's being said by both sides. Ankara's accusing Russia of violating once again its uh, airspace in the course of its anti-ISIL campaign. President Erdogan already calling on Vladimir Putin to explain. It summoned the Russian ambassador and talking about it, a violation of, quote, NATO airspace. So it's really... So talking about violating NATO airspace, summoning the Russian ambassador. So there must be some pretty serious evidence here. After Turkey claimed that a Russian jet violated its airspace last week, the Pentagon confirmed this on Saturday. Russia denies having crossed Turkish airspace and demands proof. Will the U.S. provide evidence? 
you know, one of the, you, uh, you're so good at asking these questions that, that, that it's the United States' responsibility to provide proof of what Russia's doing, which I find incredibly comical. It's not our job to confirm for the Russians what that, they're doing. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. So uh, she's asking for so they came, so the U.S. government came out and supported the Turkish government. So she's asking for the evidence that the U.S. government used to come out and make that yeah, support yeah, statement. Yeah. What I can say is, it, so it must have what I can that it bases say is, you go ahead finish right? and then when you're done, I'll talk. This guy, he hates what? her. Please, sir. We are aware of reports, and we can confirm uh, that on the 29th of January, another Russian combat aircraft violated Turkish and NATO airspace. As we've stated uh, after past incidents, the United States joins NATO in standing in solidarity with Turkey, and we call on Russia to respect He's from his binder and cease activities that risk further heightening instability in the region. It's important that the Russians and the Turks talk to each other and to take measures to prevent escalation. <laughs> Russia denies having done that and, and uh, asks for proof. Will the U.S. provide proof? It's not... It's not for, it's not our responsibility to provide proof to the Russians for something they did wrong. And is this that, is <laughs> it's such a great logic loop. What I said in my last comment there, we want the Russians and the Turks. <laughs> I'm just going to cut him off. But it's wow. so great. Like she's she's she could tell she's trying to be very patient with him. But uh, she's like, come on. You come confirmed on. it to Turkey. Kirby so. is just great. He's just great. Uh, let's talk about oil. Let's talk about stocks. Talk about oil. We're going to wrap it up with oil prices, which uh, up where I'm living at right now, Cheap. 174 a gallon for regular. Yeah, which is I don't remember the last time I seen that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. All right, in the meantime, you might have noticed in the right corner of the screen there, big old cellar at the corner of Wall and Broad. My, oh, my, Charles Payne, what the heck happened today? Well, you know, drill, you know the drill, Neil. Uh, first, it began with crude oil, began to collapse early this morning. So markets, they started out under pressure, and, well, it only got worse from there. Now, connecting these oil dots, a lot of scuttlebutt on which banks will take hits from those bad loans to the oil patch. So you got banks that are going to get screwed on loans. This just as sovereign wealth funds are said to be dumping their financials to make up for lost crude oil. This is another thing. This is another thing that's going to affect the economy is big funds are selling off to make up for oil losses. Revenue. And then the sell off got even worse when Esther George, who's a voting member of the Federal Reserve, told Wall Street to stop whining and said the Fed is actually behind on its rate hike schedule and shouldn't worry about wild gyrations and hissy fits of the stock market. Well, I'm paraphrasing on that one. Now, there was good news. Maybe cheap oil having a positive impact with some retailers and restaurants. Michael Kors and Philip Van Heusen. Let's talk about cheap oil here for a second. Uh, This, I think, is going to be a massive – if there are – okay – it depends on how long oil stays down, but I think we could be witnessing one of the most incredible wealth transfers that in our lifetime. Really? Um, so, you know, what we really – we live in in the U.S. and uh, in a lot of places around the world. We live in where there's a a very small minority that have an, a, an unbelievable lion's share of the wealth, right? right? Yeah. Huge, huge percent. Ninety percent of revenue, something like that, goes to a certain percentage, right? right. Yeah. We all know this. We all remember, we all remember Occupy Wall Street days. Yep. But when the cost of fuel goes down across the country, you're essentially giving every United States citizen a raise. Yeah. You're giving everybody more money in their pocket. And after a while, after things settle, you often will see the cost of goods go down because shipping goes down, transportation goes down, even the cost of oil, which is in so many products, goes down. And so a lot of times it ends up when the gas drops like this, it ends up being a 
mild, across-the-board raise for the middle class. Yeah. And I think what you end up witnessing when that happens is you get to see a little experiment that never we never actually get to see played out because of the way our economy is normally structured. But when this begins to happen, the experiment that we get to witness is what happens when you actually do invest in the middle class, when all of a sudden you empower tens of millions of people with more buying power, yeah. what actually happens to the economy? And and I got to think it's going to be massive. And yeah, it's going to be bad for the banks and things like that. But well, to give give more people, to give the majority more money in their pockets every single month could have huge long-term effects. There is one interesting uh, caveat to that, though, and that is more people now are saving more than ever, too, mm-hmm. because they are very, very sure. aware sure. of what just happened a few years ago yeah. when our economy tanked worse than it ever had. And people are now more conscious to go, yeah. you know what, we're going to save more the, money uh, and put it more away. Uh, more despite, people are saving than ever. December was rough, except for car makers. Like like uh, Chrysler sold more Jeeps than ever. So some people are Don't buying some Don't talk to me things. about cars. Uh, I know. Don't talk to me about but cars. But like I said, there are some headwinds. Yeah, that's true. And these headwinds could be so significant that they could do... They could do they could completely derail any progress we could see by oil prices. Right. And uh, this clip talks about some of the things that are headwinds. With oil prices tumbling, stock prices falling, and bonds rising, the word recession is getting tossed around quite a bit. Here are three charts that support the idea that the U.S. may be entering a downturn. First, you've got corporate profits. Earnings are set to drop for a third straight quarter. On a share-weighted basis, profits in the S&P 500 are expected to have dropped by more than 7% last quarter. That is the blue bar at the far right-hand side. Now, the main drags on earnings, the slump in crude prices, and the dollar's strength. Then you've got manufacturing. The already slowing sector closed out 2015 with a thud going down. The ISM manufacturing uh, slipped below 50, indicating contraction in November and December. And we're seeing services, the orange line, start to take a little bit of a leg down as well. And finally, another cause for concern if you believe that credit always leads. The plunge in oil blew out spreads in energy high-yield credit, and soon other high-yield sectors saw similar widening. Now, now it's infected investment-grade debt. The premium that investors demand to be paid over holding treasuries is now approaching levels seen in the last two recessions, 2001-2007. So that is a bit of a headwind that we would have to survive. But if after we get through that, oil prices remain low, we could have a significant increase for uh, the middle class, which could actually really help things long term, I would wonder. I would wonder. It's something to keep an eye on for sure because – I always look at, you know, traffic. I look at, you know, the number of cars on the road and, and people consuming that energy. And I go, the prices are still going down. Yeah. People are, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to track. Said, I'm checking with Hillary. Made, she's at, she's been asked about the Iraq war. And the U.N. inspector, uh, Hans Blick, said, give us the time. We will find out. Give us the hammer over their head, namely the vote. question was, what have you learned since voting for the Iraq war? What they still have in terms of WMD. And the Bush administration didn't give she's them the She's doing the, the shrug thing. And yeah, she's blowing this. That was a breach of uh, She's blaming uh, it on the Bush administration, I guess. View. But, you know, I gave them Three the vote shots. in large measure because I thought that would give us uh, the time and we would find out, short of invasion, turned out not to be, and I uh, really regret that uh, that's the way President Bush proceeded. That uh, would not Bush. be something you would have to worry about with me. If I tell you we're going to do diplomacy, we're going to hang tough, we're going to get answers, that's exactly what we will do. 
Huh. I want you to meet uh, Sean. Not Bill. a super strong answer to that question, Oof. but an interesting way to sort of avoid that question now. Well, I when I voted for it, I intended the inspectors to have more time. That was a good strategy. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Flint. So first, Flint. some news that's upsetting, and then some good news. Yep. First, the upsetting part. Flint, Michigan's drinking water problems are getting worse. Last night, residents there were advised to have their water retested after new test samples showed higher levels of lead that can be treated by the filters that have been distributed. This comes after documents turned up showing state workers in Flint were provided bottled drinking water long before residents. Ouch. Ouch. Oh, boy. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Uh, and now we've got a panel to investigate. We're tracking developments today on the crisis in Flint, Michigan. We now know the FBI is joining the criminal investigation into how Flint's water came to be poisoned. And on Capitol Hill, lawmakers have called for a hearing. Among those scheduled to testify this morning is Keith Cray. He just took over Michigan's Department of of environmental quality, the department that has shouldered much of the blame for the crisis. Cray told us one of the biggest mistakes was failing to protect Flint's pipes by adding phosphate, which would have kept lead from leaching into people's water. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and corrosion treatment uh, should have been implemented from day one. We asked Cray, how does he hope to turn things around? You change the culture by reemphasizing the need to be good listeners. And so there was the attitude that our data was better than anybody else's data. And we should not have been arguing with data as it came in. And we all should have acted with more urgency. The head of the department, also the spokesman, have resigned. As far as I can tell, no one has been fired. Should someone be? There is due process, and the Department of Justice is doing an investigation. The Michigan Attorney General is doing an investigation. The Auditor General is doing an investigation. We have internal individuals doing investigations. So let's get it right. It's very easy to just pick out one individual and say you're at fault. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. Heads need to roll. Yeah. Heads need to roll. You ready for the good news, the high notes, as it were, for the Flint story? What's the uptick? There is a local uh, uh, local 370s plumber union uh, who is going around and helping out the uh, Flint residents who don't have a lot of money to install lead filters in their sinks and stuff for free. It's, it's pretty cool. Oh. Getting the filters to people can be a lot easier than getting them installed. News 10's Joy Wang went along with some plumbers going door to door to make sure they're hooked up properly. Tony Slotten visits about 15 homes a day. Hi, Lucia. Hello. I'm Tony from the Plumbers Union. Oh, okay. Installing filters or changing faucets. Want to know what's going on with yeah. my water? For people like Lucia Chapman. I'm really concerned about my grandbabies and my disabled brothers. I'm hoping that today would be successful. She doesn't know how to use the filter, and the faucet she has doesn't work. It's kind of hard right now because, you know, there's so much in my life that I lost. And now with this water problem, I'm not too happy. The local plumbers union started going door to door on Thursday, and since then they've helped about a thousand homes. It's a little easier for me just because I've been around it and I know what I'm doing, know what I'm looking for. He's just one of about 20 plumbers working on the project every day, visiting the elderly or disabled first. A lot of our members live here in the community, and we have a responsibility to pay back to the community. A community grateful for the help they've gotten since the crisis. I don't have to worry about if I'm drinking bad water, cooking with bad water, or even bad Water. water, she says, is safer because of the plumbers. Everything will be all right because we got people like him. Someone who's volunteering five to ten minutes of his time to bring something more than clean water to Flint. That's all you can, I mean, that's it, peace of mind. In Flint, Joy Wang, News 10.
pretty I, nice, huh? I, I just hope that they don't try to spin this as, uh, you know, a union thing or anything like that. It's I always a, look at this that. This thing is po- political from top to bottom. Oh, yeah. Even the response is political. And sadly, some of those filters that they're installing, some of the tests are saying that the filters don't are not up. even enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Hey, Chris, where so, are... Where, hey, that was where's supposed a, to be a positive thing, dude. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just like, look at all angles. I know. Unfiltered just like, at Reddit.com. Yeah, just like them. Boom! That's where you go to give us some of your angles. Unfiltered at Reddit.com. Stories, feedback. Let us know. Don't forget, we'll be live next week, jblive.tv, on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Uh, have we Super got, Tuesday. Have we, chat room, does anybody have the start time? Well, whatever the start time is, come join us. Well, when results start coming in, that's really where it's going to yeah, matter. Yeah, well, I'm sure that, yeah, you don't really know, but I'm sure the networks have a specific target. Yeah, so when, we'll, we'll get pulse. it close. Yeah. You can check the calendar, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Yep. Don't forget, we need your support at patreon.com slash unfilter. You guys keep us going, and uh, we'd love to see some more support there. That would be fantastic. Chase. Yes, Chris. If people aren't going to go to patreon.com slash unfilter first, maybe they go there, they do the, they do their business, help right, us out, right. and then they go, they feel good, Yeah. maybe they want to go check you out online afterwards, get a little more newness in their face. I would li- recommend them to go over to geekgamer.tv. Oh! They can see a lot of newness in their face where I do a show about Minecraft, I do other technology, gaming events, that that's sort of how thing. We go. Uh, that, that's how we roll. Thank you, Mr. President. You can also follow me on Twitter. At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Mm. I love to interact with you guys on Twitter, so please tweet me. I will respond to you. Chris, you do the Twitter thing, too. At Chris L-A-S. And that stands for the Linux Action Show. It does, buddy. It's it pretty does. sweet. So don't forget, Tuesday next week, we'd love to see you here. Yes. But uh, you can always download it as normal, as regular. We'll make it available on demand as well. Yay. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of The Unfilter Show. And we'll see you right back here next, next week. week. 